That's how you get their attention. How are you guys doing this morning? We got the bad guys over there still talking. Can't hear still? Okay. Yeah, dial it up till it starts ringing. <laughs> All these hearing aids in this room, we got to, you know. You guys doing all right this morning? That might be a little hot. Is it uh, a little further down? It's hurting my ears. All right. Well, this morning, um, we start back with the Eat This Book. And you'll notice that um, the cowards among us, me, are now going to start coming out because we're out of the Old Testament and we're now into the New. Because <laughs> the, uh, you know, the pastors, we had to depend on them to do the Old Testament because, you know, who, who knows anything about the Old Testament, right? Um, I went to um, Pensacola Institute of Theology way back when, when it used to be, and um, the one I went to was uh, James Montgomery Boyce was preaching on Hosea. And that was one of the first things he said. He said, yeah, we're going to look into the white pages tonight. And I said, white pages? Because that back then we had, well, you guys know phone books, yellow pages, white pages. And if you look at the, the end of your Bible pages, nobody ever flips through, you know, the minor prophets. You just flip past those to get to the New Testament or flip before those to get the, you know, the, the first five. So he said, yeah, we, those are the white pages. That's what we're going to be looking at. So we let the pastors do that. And now that the New Testament books are here, now, now, the, uh, now we can start climbing out of the woodwork. I was going to start you off with a little teaser for tonight. Tonight, uh, we're going to talk about the, uh, the Uganda trip. And uh, this is the courtyard of the school. We, had, we arrived late um, Monday night, Tuesday night, Tuesday night. Um, so this was, so Wednesday we went to the school and then we split up into our different teams and went all different places. The school team was at the school throughout the week. Um, and then this is Saturday of that first week when we all came, the, all of us except the pastors and, and their, uh, the women in ministry team, we went back to the school um, for the morning just to hang out with the kids and, and uh, do a little bit more. So this is when we rolled up into the courtyard All these kids are out there running around having a good time. We brought some uh, some soccer balls for them to play with, so they're out there kicking and going to town. And that's all you're going to get this morning. Come back tonight at six, and we'll uh, we'll talk from uh, talk more then. So we're going to look this morning at the gospel according to Matthew. And I'm having a little bit of a technological problem, which is not unusual for me. So bear with me a little bit. Let's, uh, let's pray to get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us together again this morning. Father, we thank you that we live in a country where we have the freedom to worship you. And Father, thank you. We don't, we don't take that for granted. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would bless this time, that you would use it to, uh, to teach us more about you, more about your word, um, and, uh, and more about who you are. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for, for your word. 
and, uh, and how it instructs us. Pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So it's kind of hard um, to try to cover um, a whole book in one morning, so um, we'll, we'll give it a go. Does anybody remember uh, when Malachi was written? This has been a couple months ago, so you have to think back. 400. <laughs> Good answer. There was, a, there was about 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Um, <clears throat> does anybody remember about what year Jesus was born? We don't know exactly, but what year? Roughly 4 B.C., give or take. Depends on your calendar and, and how you time some things. But, uh, but 4, 4 B.C., so there's, there's 400 years or so between Malachi and, and, uh, and Matthew. So most of my Christian life, I kind of naively thought, you know, the people of, of um, Judea were just, you know, going through their daily lives, going through, um, you know, going to temple, doing this, you know, going through their daily lives, and then just kind of waiting for the, the prophet, the next prophet to appear. Um, but then I got to thinking about some other questions a couple years ago. The older I get, I don't know what it is, the older I get, the more interested in history I get. Um, I don't know if that's true for anybody else, but I got to thinking about some other questions, and, and I started reading. And that period of time in that part of the world was pretty chaotic. There was a lot of stuff going on um, during that period of the year. So um, we're going to be looking at a, at a few of those things here. Anybody remember Alexander the Great? You probably heard him at some point. Um, and I'll go ahead and freely tell you that I didn't remember most of this stuff from school. <laughs> this is from what I've been reading the last couple of years. He conquered a lot of things here. So keeping with the precedent that we set last week, if you're having trouble picking out where Israel is on that map, look for the aardvark. <laughs> look for the aardvark. That's Israel. <laughs> so you can see that Alexander's kingdom or Alexander's conquest went way to the east and, uh, and not so much to the west. And Israel, why do you think this is white and all the rest of that is yellow? Not conquered. Not conquered. It's desert, mostly. So if you want to go from up there to down there, on the land, you got to go through Israel. And so Israel's kind of right in the middle of, um, of where everything is. Well, Alexander died. Eh. How can I go back? Alexander died in, um, anybody remember? Close, 323. Um, so Malachi was written around 400. Alexander died 70 years later, and he was up in the, the Mesopotamia area whenever, where he died. And um, so what happens after a great general dies to his, to his kingdom, to his conquest? The generals took over. There was a chaos in, in a lot of ways. So do you think that was a peaceful transition of power? No. <laughs> so one, one general had this area up here. 
One general had this area down here, and what's in the middle? Israel. So those generals are always kind of snipping at one another and trying to pick off a little bit of their territory. And so that went back and forth um, for a couple hundred years. And then we come to the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire extended, and once again, there's Israel. And the Roman Empire goes way out here to the west. But it doesn't go very far to the east. But still, Israel's sitting there right in the middle between two important points, the Egyptian part and the, uh, the part that's northern. <clears throat> so who was the big um, emperor that, that was going on just before, um, just before the time of Christ? Well, that was a little bit after. What, who was right before him? Julius Caesar. You remember the Ides of March? Beware the Ides of March. What year was that? Do you remember that? 37 BC. So right around the same time that Herod took over control of Palestine, just after that is, or I mean just before that is when Julius Caesar died. Do you know why he was killed? And again, I didn't remember this until I was just looking it over it. Why did they kill him? Because he was changing over from a republic, the Roman Republic, to an empire. He declared himself to be the emperor. Um, and the senators were, I'm sure they had other motives too, but one of the motives was they wanted to keep the republic. So they didn't want, to, um, want him to be an emperor. <coughs> So that was in 37 BC. So things were a little nuts as far as this part of the world goes in a lot of different ways. I copied this just out of the study Bible and you can see, this won't be on the test by the way, so don't, don't bother trying to copy it down. You can see all these things that, that are leading up to the, uh, to the problems that um, all these different people and it seems like every single one of them has a son or a wife or somebody else who has the same name as the one before him. So it's real hard to keep track of who all is who. But all these people are kind of looking for power. So the point is, they're snipping at one another and they're um, go to war with that one, stabbing that one, killing your son. And so this is the, the atmosphere that Herod came in, into power in. So if you think about, you know, what do we know about Herod? Wicked. Did I hear something? Wicked. Wicked, yes, he was. Um, it was Herod the, yeah, Herod the Great is the one that we're talking about. Yeah, that was his son, I think. Herod the Great, what, what is he famous for doing? Killing the babies is what I was thinking about, but yeah, he, he, I think he killed his sons too. Um, yeah, he was, a bad, he was a bad guy. Well, you kind of think that he's kind of paranoid to kill all the babies just in order to kill the one that the Magi came to, came to worship. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. You kind of think he's paranoid, but this is what was going on whenever he came to power. So he had reason to be paranoid because everybody was out to get him. So um, I'm not trying to explain him, 
explain away anything that he did uh, because he was he was a wicked man. Um, but the the crazy thing about Herod was he did a lot of good for Israel too, but he still he was a wicked man. So who wrote the book of Matthew? Matthew, that would be the easy answer. Um, some scholars don't don't agree with that. Um, the early church attributed to, attributed it. That's a hard word. They said Matthew wrote it. So um, I go with them because they were there uh, much closer to the time uh, than than we are. But the book doesn't say anything about who wrote it. Uh, he doesn't take credit for uh, writing it in the uh, in the book books itself. Who was Matthew? He was a tax collector. How do we know that? And where else? Nope. <laughs> well, I think Luke Luke has the story where where it was where he was, but um, in Luke they call him Levi. But whenever he's listed in the in the list of the apostles, the one in Matthew, um, this one here is the one that says Matthew was a tax collector. The other Gospels identify him as Levi, and they don't call him a tax collector except for that, that up there. <clears throat> so what, um, I mean, what do you think, why would you think that the other Gospel writers would not identify Matthew as a, as a tax collector? He was a Roman lackey. He was a Roman lackey. Very poor. Yeah. But why would they not put that in, in their... That's not who he was, really. He was Jewish Yeah. He had changed. So he, I think, out of modesty and, you know, uh, owning whatever, what his previous life was, he called himself a tax collector um, in his gospel. And by the way, when I say his gospel, please understand, there's only one gospel... I, I'm talking about the gospel according to Matthew, and you know we've got we got four different accounts, but there is only one gospel. So in his gospel, he identifies himself as that tax collector, and it kind of reminds me of of Paul in a lot of his writings. Whenever he would say, "I'm the chief of sinners," and so I think I would never call Paul that, but Paul called Paul that. So uh, we see here if someone would like to, um, well, you've already read that. We don't need to go, go through that because we'll run out of time. So why did Matthew write it? What makes Matthew, Matthew? Matthew wrote largely to a Jewish audience. A lot of Matthew has to do with quoting the Old Testament and applying those quotations to Jesus. Um, so it, it was put into the canon of, of Scripture in that place, I think very specifically, as kind of an opening to the New Testament, as a bridge from the Old Testament to the New. Um, and he pre presents Christ as King and Messiah of Israel. So if you were reading Matthew as a Jewish person, you would see very clearly that he's presenting all the prophecies that are throughout the Old Testament, all the prophecies, they apply to Jesus. So if you're looking for the Messiah based on the Old Testament, here he is. And it kind of reminded me, and I meant to get the, uh, 
the reference and I forgot, but one of the disciples, when he went, he, he went and got his brother and he said, you know, we found him. We found the one that all the prophets are, are talking about. Do you guys remember that? I can't remember which disciple that was, and I forgot to look up the passage. Was it Andrew? Andrew and Philip? Or Philip? Philip finding the tail. Yeah, okay. Um, but it's like, we found him. And I think that's the, the flavor of Matthew is, we found him. Here is the Messiah. Here's the one that, that, um, that the scriptures have been talking about. So, um, was Matthew written first? Probably not. Um, there is a lot of speculation on whether Matthew used Mark as one of his sources. Um, and then there's a lot of discussion on whether there, was, there were other sources apart from, from that. Um, and I just let the scholars argue that, that stuff and they can just do whatever they do with, with that. Um, because in my mind, it doesn't really matter if Matthew was written first or not. Because the early church fathers who were there said, this, yeah, this guy is, is the one that, um, that he, he's authoritative. And one of them, Origen, in the early 200s said, among the four gospels, which are the only indisputable ones in, in the church of God under heaven, I have learned by tradition that the first was written by Matthew, who was once a publican, but afterwards an apostle of Jesus Christ, and it was prepared for the converts from Judaism. So that's like 100 years after the fact. This guy, that's, that's the reputation that the book already had. So it's authoritative in the eyes of the early church. Um, it presents Christ as the son of David, as the kingdom of, uh, and refers to the kingdom of heaven. The thing about that that's important is Jewish people don't like saying the word God. They're really, um, even I have some Jewish friends that they don't, they don't use that word because they're afraid that they will be using it in vain. So if, it, if you're looking at a very literal interpretation of the Ten Commandments, you don't want to be caught saying the word God uh, in vain. So he, he's a little bit sensitive to that. He, uh, he refers to Christ as the son of David, um, and he refers to the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God. And like you've already seen, he, he invokes the past. There's a lot of times in Matthew where he says, you know, that what was spoken might be, that what was spoken might be fulfilled. So um, there'll be an event in Jesus's life and then Matthew will explain, explain it because that was spoken before and it's been fulfilled in Jesus. And uh, he has Jesus saying that you have heard it said and then Jesus will talk about something. We'll talk about this more in just a minute. You've heard it said, but I say to you this. So, um, so Jesus had the, uh, the authority, and uh, he points to the future in, in saying that Jesus is not only the fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the prophet that was spoken of in the Old Testament that's going to come. So um, he presents that point in a, in a unique way amongst the, uh, the gospel writers.
So the first section, there's, there's basically four sections to Matthew, and different commentators kind of reorganize or, or, or summarize Matthew in different ways, which was kind of hard to try to pick out one to use here. But there's, there's basically four sections. One is that the king is here. Two, that the people accept the king. Three, the people reject the king. And then four, the resurrection and the, uh, and the um, ascension. So right from the very beginning in verse 1, the, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So if I'm a Jewish person, what am I thinking right there? Son of David, what's, yeah, what was the promise given to David as far as his kingdom goes? It's going to go on forever. So we've got Jesus Christ, the son of David, and Christ is important in that, in that too, and the son of Abraham. So the Jewish people are the children of Abraham, right? So right from the very beginning, he's, he's identifying who, who Jesus is. Then down in verse 25, he'll, he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is a quotation from Isaiah, which is talking about the Messiah to come, is that's who's going to come. Well, he says that's what the angel told Jesus' parents. So he's not shy about, it, about talking about who Jesus is. <clears throat> By the way, what was the whole point behind Gospels? Not just Matthew, but the, other, the others as well. What's the theme of the Gospel? The good news about Jesus Christ. The good news. And so they're all four pointing that, that way. They talk about, they're kind of making the case that Jesus is... Um, is the Christ. They're giving us background on, on who that uh, Christ is and, and what he did. So will somebody read Matthew 2, 1 through 3? So Herod was troubled. Why do you think Herod was troubled? Yeah, I mean he was already looking over his shoulder all over the all over the place. The Romans had given Herod the title King of the Jews. So now these Magi, who are also like kingmakers come from a different country and they're coming over and they're like, uh, yeah, we, we saw the star for the king of the Jews and we just came to worship him. And Herod's like, wait a minute, <laughs> back up. Um, we got a problem there. And so um, Herod, of course, didn't, uh, didn't think too highly of that and, and he had to uh, take care of that problem in, in the only way he knew how. Now, Scholars will tell you that they don't believe that Herod had the babies executed. 
But the only reason that I've ever that I've been able to find in, in their work, and this is not Christian scholars, secular scholars, the only reason I've been able to find is there is no other account in their sources, which they don't really have that great of sources, but there's no other account of that in any of their sources. That the account of Matthew is the only account that we have. So they don't they don't really believe it. To me, it makes perfect sense. Whenever you consider the political situation, I mean, we think we got political problems now. They had political problems. And the way he handled his political problems, it makes perfect sense that, that he would do that. Um, also, and this is kind of an aside, but it, I think it's kind of interesting. I listened to a podcast back around Christmas time about Herod. And uh, again, it was not a Christian author, it was a, a secular author, but she made a really good point from the archaeology that Herod was also interested in, in um, well, all the kings were interested in their legacies, but Herod wanted his legacy to be kind of a cross between um, Alexander the Great and the Messiah, which I thought was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I've never heard of it, heard that before, so I listened to the podcast again, and, and it was really interesting the way she laid it out. And again, she's not a Christian, or she may be a Christian, but it was, a, it was more of a, a secular type argument from the archaeology of, of his tomb that they have found. And guess where his tomb is? It's on the mountain overlooking Bethlehem. So anyway, if you want more information about that, I can't really recommend it as, you know, something that explains the Bible to you, but it, it just really lays out a case that I think is really interesting. So I can give you that information outside, outside of this. But um, Herod did a lot of things well. Um, I mean, he rebuilt the temple. He did, built a lot of stuff in, in Israel. And so he did a lot of things that were good, but again, I'm, I'm not at all excusing that he was an evil man. And it doesn't surprise me at all that he would take care of what he viewed as a, as a existential threat to his rule it doesn't surprise me all, at all that he would kill however many babies that, that he had killed in order to do that. that uh, to me, that seems perfectly in character for him. So the, the Matthew starts with the, the first section, which is the king is, has arrived. He talks about Jesus' birth, uh, the angels uh, giving, them, giving uh, Mary and Joseph the endorsement of this is who Jesus is. He talks about um, going to Egypt and coming back, and again, that's to, there's a prophecy that, that had to be fulfilled. Um, and he talks about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, where he goes out and Satan tempts him. And then, you know, the last one that Satan wanted him to bow down and worship him, and Satan would give him everything, um, which seems to me kind of foolish because Jesus already had everything. And I would think Satan would know that, but apparently he didn't. He think, thought he had more power than he did. And I guess he, he probably thought that Jesus might bite if he got everything without having to go through the cross. But um, did you? That's what I was going to say. I was in here he could have everything. Right. Right, right. Yeah. So, 
course, Jesus didn't bite, and the, the angels came to minister to him. And right after that is when Jesus' public ministry started. He went into the area of um, Capernaum, Galilee, and started um, attracting crowds. So I put kind of up there because at first he was well-received. And what did he do at first if someone would read that? So he was becoming pretty famous. And, you know, we've seen in our own time, in our own city, actually, that it's easy to draw a crowd if you're doing stuff that, that seems like are miraculous. Now, of course, Jesus's were miraculous, and he was actually healing people, and he was um, doing great things. But it's, it's, um, it's not hard to draw a crowd whenever you're doing that. And uh, along in this time, he's also feeding the 5,000, and he's, he's ministering to people. He's becoming famous. He's, you know, the whole region knows who he is. They're, they're after him. Um, and from one of the other Gospels, he was, um, uh, they were coming to take him as a king because they wanted the, the nonsense to stop as far as uh, the things that Herod was doing the things that other kingdoms were doing, you know, to interact with them, to, to um, they wanted him to be a literal uh, physical king rather than, than who he was. <clears throat> but the problem was he had some hard sayings too, if someone would read that. So that's a hard one. I mean, are you going to follow a teacher that tells you, uh, well, you got to be perfect? I mean, these are people, and, and you know the stories from, you know, that, that Paul said, you know, I was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin, kept the law from my youth. Just think about that. I kept the law from my youth. Has anybody ever kept the law from their youth other than Jesus? And so Jesus, that's one of the, the central parts of his teaching, 
and, and it's presented here in Matthew over and over and over again, is that that old way is no good. You can't keep the law from your youth or any other ways because what, I, what you think is keeping the law is not really keeping the law. Um, so... The worst of the worst. That you, you, you're good is no different than these people you think. Right. And along those same lines, I don't know if you remember, if you caught it on that first um, line of the, the lineup of the, of the uh, disciples, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. What is a zealot? Well, somebody who's zealous for something. I think it was a political party. Revolutionary. Hmm? Like a revolutionary. A revolutionary. What were they revolting against? Rome. Rome. Yeah. Who did Matthew work for? Rome. <laughs> <laughs> so here he is in the, in the 12 that he calls. You got Judas Iscariot, who he knows is going to betray him. And you've got Simon the Zealot who is rabidly anti-Rome, rabidly. And you've got Matthew, who was making a killing by being pro-Rome. So, I mean, it's kind of like if, if in our day you get somebody who's as far right as it comes and somebody who as far left as it comes and put them into one of those little smart cars and make them drive across country. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have fireworks. <laughs> Things are going to happen. Well, he's just talking up here. Well, if you only love the people who love you, what good are you? What good is that kind of love? And right here, he's demonstrating in his own group that that ain't the way this works. You're better than that. You have to be better than that. God is making you better than that. And you can't do that up there on your own. You need the, the Father's love. You need the, the Savior to, to help you with that. And, it, and again, I meant to look up the reference and I forgot. I apologize. But um, what is it that we're going to be known by to those outside the church? The, the way we love one another. And so that is convicting to me. I used to be a, on a message board years ago that was... SEC football, of course, and um, there were several on there. There was another guy from another PCA church. Actually, he went to this one, I think, for a while before I started. But there was another guy on there from the PCA church. There were some Baptists. There were um, a couple of guys from the Church of Christ, and then there were some self-avowed atheists, and I, I think I've mentioned this story before. But the PCA guys and the Baptists were discussing, and it wasn't, we weren't mean, but we were discussing some theology stuff, and then we were discussing some theology stuff with the guys that go to the Church of Christ, and I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they've got some beliefs that are fairly different than the way we believe. So we were having a vigorous discussion. <laughs> and like I said, it wasn't mean, but it wasn't all that loving either. And um, one of the atheists chimed in, and he said, hey, uh, 
why would I even think about joining this? <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. <laughs> we, we need to discuss this amongst ourselves. We don't need to discuss this, you know, and, and we need to make sure that we're doing loving things whenever we, because there are some, more so with the Church of Christ than with the Baptists, but there are some definite issues that, that need to be discussed. But you don't need to be doing that, you know, where other people are, uh, are watching. And getting confused. And getting confused, exactly. Because they don't know exactly what you're saying and why you're saying it. So, um, so as time goes by, the teaching of Jesus becomes harder and harder for people to bear. They're fine with him being king. They're fine with him getting rid of the Romans. They're fine with, you know, a free meal every now and again. They're fine with, with all that stuff, but he's gone to meddling now. And now he's talking about how they live their lives and, and what, they, what they should be doing. And, and uh, the opposition starts to spread because he was just radically reinterpreting everything that they kind of based their, their own uh, self-importance on. And, and he was cutting the foundations out from under uh, what, they, what they thought was right. And it, it just kind of seems to me that it would be very difficult, and I kind of imagine what I would do in their position. If everything that you've always based your your uh, whole theology on suddenly was proven to be wrong, how would you feel? I mean, that would be, that would be difficult. Um, and Matthew makes the case, that's what Matthew is making the case for, is that you're, re you're, you're misinterpreting what God has told you. And you're you're not seeing who, who he really is and, and what God uh, is doing. Unless what he's showing you is better. Right. Which it is. Exactly. And he's showing you, he's making the foundation that, that this is what was being taught already. You just missed it. Um, and it... In that way, it kind of reminds me of the, uh, the disciples on the, the road to Emmaus. And they knew the scriptures, and they had seen Jesus, but they still didn't make the connection. And Jesus went to the law and the prophets, and he showed them where he was, and he opened their eyes. And so that's what, uh, that's what we, we need to do. So as things got hotter, People started falling away, and the king gets rejected. Um, so the, the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And so Jesus makes the point you're miss that, that they were missing the point, that it's not, the, uh, it's not what they say, like the, the Pharisees uh, were saying, the right things. It's not what you say, it's what you do. It's what's in your heart that, that makes, the, uh, makes the difference. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
So that's a, a quotation from Isaiah 29, 13. So the Pharisees knew exactly what he was saying was that, um, that he was, was putting them in the same category that the people that were condemned uh, back in Isaiah. And so um, the disciples, and I thought that was kind of funny, that's why I put it in there, the last passage down there. The disciples came to him after all that and said, hey, uh, do you know that the Pharisees didn't like it when you said that? <laughs> and that's another one of the characteristics of Matthew is he doesn't care about the Pharisees. <laughs> it's like, woe to the Pharisees. They're hypocrites. They, you know, they, they are leading you astray. Um, and so that's why I, I kind of get a kick out of that. So Jesus, at this point, he begins to narrow his ministry down. He's not so much preaching to the crowds anymore. He's investing more time and more energy in the disciples themselves. And it's kind of, kind of a narrowing the focus because the, the rank and file has, has you know, given up on it. And now he's, he's focusing on the disciples and he's trying to get them prepared for what's, what's coming next. And so he's just, again, he's, Matthew presents that Jesus, and we don't really have much time left, so I'm uh, not going to read that. But you all remember the story about when Jesus went into the temple and the money changers were in there taking advantage of people, and he cleaned house. He said, no, nope, we're not doing that. So um, the Pharisees didn't like that. And so Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? Have you have prepared praise? And the, the, what, one of the passages that he was using as, a, as that quote, it says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So the Pharisees knew that passage. And so he's calling them enemies and avengers of God. So he's making some radical claims about them. And of course, the die had already been cast as far as what they were going to do to him. They were just looking for a time and a place to do it. And so stuff like that just kind of cemented their decision that, you know, that's, that's. And uh, Jesus did grieve for the, for the people of Jerusalem. Um, that they, they just didn't see, that so many of them were, were blind. Um, and so he's, he says here that, that, you know, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So um, he knew things were, were going to get tough. And, of course, we'll end with this one. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what strikes me there is that... Um, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who can make that claim? God alone. 
God alone is the only one who could ever say that. Um, so this is at the very end of the book, so he's kind of made his case, and, and there it is. That, that's, that's who Jesus is. All right, it is the appointed hour. Any comments or questions? Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> Skipped a few things, but that's okay. Kip, would you close us in prayer, please? No, I I got through everything. I did. Yeah. Slides were good too. Thanks. That's hard. It's hard. It's difficult. Now, do you have that book that they keep talking about? The Eat This Book. Have you seen that book? Because I I downloaded one that I thought was was the book, but 